Friends, if you have your Bible, we're in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. I don't know about you guys, but um, this is one of the very first Bible uh, books of the Bible that I ever read right after I became a Christian. And uh, it was so life-giving to me to read this. And it was like, God, how did you know? How did you know about me and my life? And um, so when I read this, it takes me back to 1980. There was that time where for the first time in my life, that I re- the Lord really pulled this, the veils off my eye and I could see him for who he is. And I could experience his love and grace and he was no longer a stranger but a friend and a savior. So let's look in <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 2. It starts out and it says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You were dead in your trespasses. You know, the one thing I, I know, and David, I know you would know this as a, a doctor, um, but as a paramedic, one thing I know is when somebody's dead, they are dead. They cannot help themselves. I've done CPR probably, I don't know, 50, 75 times. And the thing I can tell you is when, <clears throat> when we'd have somebody on a monitor, right, and they're flatlined, there is nothing they can do to help themselves. Nothing. No amount of goodwill, good nature, good anything. They're dead. They're dead as a doornail. You know, when they say dead men don't tell tales, dead men also can't help themselves. They're incapable of doing anything. And so when the Lord says, here, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in 1980, for the first time, I grasped, Lord, you know exactly what it's like to live life outside of Christ, to live life outside of forgiveness. I know what it is to stumble around, and maybe on the outside, you look pretty good, and everybody goes, oh, aren't they a nice person? But inside, you know who you are. You are lost. You have no hope. You have no life. You thought you were your own God, and suddenly you realize that you're not. And the weight of sin presses upon you. The weight of sin and the shame and the condemnation. And so when Paul's writing to the Ephesians that you were dead in your trespasses and sins, a lot of us could say, yes, I, I remember that. I remember what it was like to be outside of Christ. And we're not saying that we never sin now. First John is very clear. If we say we don't sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So we're not saying that we're perfect. We're not saying that we don't sin. But the difference is before we were dead in our sins and we had no help and we were lost, cut off, poor, blind, pitiful, and naked. We were not sons and daughters of the Lord. We did not have the Holy Spirit. But God in his mercy did some amazing things. So let's keep reading. It says, you were dead, deader than a doornail in your trespasses and sins. And the Bible says that the wage, the wage of sin is death. In other words, everyone earns a paycheck. That's the good news. Everyone earns a paycheck. Everyone. Congratulations, sir. Here's your paycheck. In this case, your paycheck or what you've earned for sinning against God, for breaking his law. What you've earned is death, eternal death. The wages, Romans says, the wages of sin is death. And so we were dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once walked. Christians, can we be honest enough to say in the church of God that sometimes it's not past tense? Sometimes it's not past tense. You were dead in your sins and trespasses in which you used to walk. But the reality is we know, just like St. Paul, so often the good things that we want to do, we don't do those things. But the bad things, the evil things that the Lord's told us not to do so often, those are the things that we can do. Who can save us, wretched men and women, that we are? 
You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. In other words, you were being conformed to the world, right? And the Bible says, be conformed to Christ, be made in the image and likeness of Jesus. Don't be conformed to this world. It's not that we hate the world. Christians do not hate the world. God made it. It is, it is good. God said it is good. But the world is broken and it has fallen. And the world has rejected the one who made it. You were dead in your trespasses in which you once walked. You were following the course of this world, following the prince of the air, that is the evil one, the devil, Satan. The spirit that is now at work in sons of disobedience. It says in verse 3, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. And so there's really no room for boasting, is there? I mean, it doesn't matter whether you're a bishop, you're a priest, you're in the first row, you're in the back row, you come once a month, you come four times a month. One thing we know about each other is that we've all sinned. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We follow too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. It's, it's, it's what we do naturally. We just sin against God. We sin against him. And so we have this terrible condition where we're dead, we can't help ourselves, we're lost and dead because of our sins. And it says, and, and, and if that was the end of the story, it would be very bad news, but look in verse 4. Remember how I always tell you when you see the word but in Scripture, B-U-T, not B-U-T-T, when you see the word but in Scripture, pay attention because God's about to do something great. We're in this hopeless condition, dead in our sins, unable to help ourselves, being conformed to the world. It says, but God, but God being rich in mercy being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. Friends, this is really the heart of the gospel. When we are unable to help ourselves, when we're dead, have no ability to do anything, God enters in and says, you know what? You're dead. You're helpless. I'm going to rescue you. You're dead. You're helpless. You have no ability to help yourself. I will rescue you. I will save you. But God. And I have thought about the word, but God being rich in mercy. What does the word mercy mean? I think it's like, was it Strom Thurmond says, I don't know what pornography is, but when you see it, you know it. You know what? If you don't know what mercy is, what I would say is once you've tasted it, you know it. If you've ever tasted mercy, if you've ever tasted undeserved mercy, unmerited favor, where you deserve to get nailed, and somebody shows you the complete, undeserved uh, forgiveness and mercy. That's what mercy is. Have you experienced mercy? Pity the church where no one has experienced mercy. God loves mercy. He loves people that are merciful. He says, blessed are the merciful. But God, oh, he's so rich in mercy. Have you tasted his mercy? Have you ever known his mercy? The saddest thing in the world to me is somebody that sits in a pew, sits in church week after week, year after year, decade after decade, and they've never known the mercy of God. They're like a Pharisee. Their hearts are cold against the Lord. You can't give what you have not experienced. How can you give out mercy if you've not experienced it? But the good news is that God has demonstrated his love. He's, he's first shown us in his love and in his rescue that he's a God of mercy. He's a God of great love. And it says in verse 5 that he made us alive together with Christ. And you have that story and have you had that testimony in your life? Right? You were being conformed to the world. You were lost. 
You were dead in your trespasses. But for whatever reason unknown to you, God in, in his mercy entered into your life. And he saved you and he rescued you. And he says, I love you and I want you to be my son. And I want you to be my daughter. And I want you to stop playing with the things of this world because I'm going to give you something so much better. We go down in Ephesians because we got little ones here. We can't go on all day. But it says, verse 8, it says, for by grace you've been saved. How is it that we come into a relationship with the Lord? How is it that we're forgiven? Is it, is it something God does? Is it something we do? Is it God does 90%, we do 10%? How's it all work, Pastor? How's it work? Well, Ephesians, this is one of the classic verses in Scripture. It says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. In other words, friends, it's only by unmerited favor. God, just for reasons known to God, just because God, the Bible says God is love, because he loves us, in his mercy, he's deci- decided to set his affection on, to love and to forgive and to give the gift of faith to his children. God has done this, and we've done nothing to earn it. The Bible says there's only one good work that we can do, and that is to believe on him who the Father sent. That's the only good work you can do, is to believe on him who the Father sent. And what's so clear here in Ephesians is, it's evident, it's by grace you're saved through faith, But even the gift of faith is not something you've created. It's not something you've worked up. It's not like you've figured it out or come to your senses. The Bible says, unless we get confused, it says it's by grace you've been saved through faith. And in case we don't understand, it really is all the Lord, all the Lord, all the Lord. It says, and this is not your own doing. Could it be any clearer? Your right standing with God, you're becoming a son or a daughter of the Lord, has nothing to do with you at all. Nothing. Because remember, you're dead. You're dead. A dead man can't change his course. He can't change his position. He can't put English on the ball. He says, this is not your own doing. Your salvation is not your own doing. It's a gift of God. It's a gift. It's a gift. I'm always so confused when I hear about these people that walk with Jesus for a while and then they take some hard knocks in their life. Who hasn't had some hard knocks in their life? And all of a sudden, they're deconstructing their faith and throwing Jesus out in the back 40. But what I would argue is if that's happening, not the hard things, because those things surely will happen, but if Jesus gets thrown out on the back 40, what I would consider this morning is that maybe they've never tasted the mercy of the Lord. You know, it's pretty hard to chuck Jesus on the back 40, to throw him out, the baby with the bathwater. It's hard to throw him out when you've tasted his mercy. And my question this morning is, have you tasted his mercy? Have you stood under his mercy? Have you stood under his fount of mercy? Do you know what it is to be cut off from the Lord, even as a Christian, and to turn your back on the Lord and not be walking with him? And everybody thinks you're walking with him, but you're really not walking with him. And God, for the 99th time or the 999th time, says, you know what? Stand under the fountain of my mercy. Stand under the fountain of my mercy. I love you. I love you. And so the Bible's clear here in Ephesians. It says, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And so a lot of Christians love that verse. Evangelicals love those two verses, right? By grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works. And so a lot of Christians, a lot of evangelical Christians would say, see, works aren't important to God. I've heard people in this pulpit preach that. Works are not important to God. And I said, you know what? You're not reading the scripture. 
Works don't save you, right? Works don't save you. How is it we come into a right relationship with the Lord? His mercy. How is it we become in a right relationship with the Lord? By grace. How is it we become in a right relationship with the Lord? Through faith and this not of ourselves. And so the question is, what does God say about works? What work do you have to do to become a son of God? What work do you have to do to become a daughter of the Lord? Believe on him whom the Father has sent. That's the only work, and that's what the Bible calls faith. And the Bible says faith actually is a gift. It's not a work. And yet the Lord, before the foundation of the earth, it says in verse 10, we are God's workmanship. We are, he is the master, and he has made a masterpiece. That's us. His beloved, his church. We're his workmanship. And he's made us, he's created us in Christ Jesus for a purpose. Did you know you have a purpose for being on the planet? Do you know that you have a purpose for being on the planet? And it's not simply to get a good education so that you can make money, so that you can be comfortable. So, no, the reason that you're on this planet, the reason you're here, is that God has created you and saved you in Christ Jesus for himself and for his glory. The Bible says you, if you're a believer, are his workmanship. And he has created you in Christ to do works that give him glory. And so, yes, how do we come into faith? By grace through faith. There's not a single work that opens the door for you to come in to become a son or daughter. But don't be deceived. The Lord does have good works for you to do. God doesn't hate works at all. He loves works. He's called us. He says, before the foundation of the earth, he's created good works for you to walk in. To walk in. My question this morning is, are we walking in those good works? You don't have to do all good works. You don't have to do everything. We just have to walk in the good we have to walk in the good uh, works that God has ordained for us to do. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Okay, there's one more thing. So this passage from Ephesians talks a lot about us and the Lord, us and the Lord, but also has a horizontal component. Look down. I want you to look really quickly. Did you know that the Jews and the Gentiles didn't get along? Did you know that the Jews hated the Gentiles? They, they, they called them like Gentile dogs. You're a dog. There was great hostility between Jew and Gentile. To the righteous Jew, that Gentile was unclean. He was no better than a dog. And, and, and the religious Jews hated the Gentiles. They called them the goyim, the goyim. And so there was this hostility. And as Jesus was bringing people to himself, all of a sudden you had people that were Jewish who were followers of Jesus. And now the gospel goes to the Gentiles and they're also becoming followers of Jesus. But the problem was that Jews and Gentiles really have no dealings, just like Jews and Samaritans. And so there's this hostility. There's this division. And the Lord would have none of it. Have you seen any division in our day? And there's so many solutions. There's so many solutions. If you post this many times to Instagram, if you put this right picture up, if you see the right hashtag, if you see the right meme... What I want to tell you, you're free to do all those things, but those things will never break down the wall of hostility. They'll never bring the shalom of God, the deep, abiding peace and unity God wants for his church. And it says, therefore, remember at one time you Gentiles in the flesh were called the uncircumcision 
by what is called the circumcision. It goes down to verse 12. Remember that you were, at that time, you were separated from Christ. You were alienated from the, from the commonwealth of Israel. And you were strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. You see, the Jews, kind of the Gentiles, is almost like lepers. They had no hope. They were cut off. They were not part of Israel, separated from Christ. But it says in, in verse 13, but... Remember I told you that word's important? But, but now in Christ, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have now been brought near by the blood of Christ. In other words, the solution to the hostility that exists in our world and in our hearts is not something from the outside. It's something the Lord is doing in the midst of this brokenness and this separation it says, but God, but Jesus, but Jesus does something. What does he do? He says, he, uh, now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. He made us both one. And he, the Lord, has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. And so, friends, we didn't aim the scripture. I hate it when people, like, dial a scripture and start preaching at me. But this was the scripture appointed for the day. This is where we were and how perfect that the Lord appointed this. Not only that we would know of his grace and his mercy. Not only that we'd know that he's created us for good works to walk in. To the glory of his name. But, but, but the dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile. In our case, between people of color and people that are Caucasian. There is a wall of hostility. There's a wall many of us would say, I didn't, I didn't even know. I didn't, honestly, I didn't know how bad it was. I didn't know. Our friends of color in this church, they know. They know. But what they also know is that the solution to the enmity, to the division, to the inequality, if you will, the solution is nothing that comes from the hand of man. It has to come from the Lord. It's in Christ Jesus. God has made of one blood all the peoples of the earth. And if there's ever going to be a, a, a breaking down of that wall of hostility, if there's ever going to be real unity and shalom and peace, it will not come from the hand of man or from Congress, but it will come from Christ Jesus. He's made of one blood, all the peoples of the earth. And those who've tasted the Lord's mercy cannot help but show and extend mercy to others. And so, friends, I'm excited this morning for what God has done personally for us, but also what he's going to do horizontally through us and with us that he himself is our shalom and our peace. And we don't have to fear, though the earth shake and the waves are above our heads, that we know that Christ our Lord, it will make all things right. We put our eyes on him, the author and finisher of our faith. And now the blessing of God Almighty, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen.